Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Redistricting reports are in. Hear what two consultants had to say about the map proposals that seek to reshape our legislative lines. Plus, state election officials urge justices to reject Dean Phillips' bid for Wisconsin's presidential primary ballot. And we tell you what the latest fundraising numbers have to say about candidates vying for the 3rd Congressional District. All that and more on Rewind, your week in review for February 2nd. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. I'm J.R. Ross. Well, J.R., we're going to start with a very much anticipated review by two consultants who reviewed six legislative map proposals that were submitted to the state Supreme Court. So late Thursday, we got their analysis, and this is kind of the highlights. Um, the maps that were proposed by GOP lawmakers and conservative voters, they declared are partisan gerrymanders, while the four Democratic proposals largely met the criteria laid out by the state Supreme Court. So those were kind of the big two headlines that we found out. But these analysis, they, they stopped short of declaring the four maps as constitutional, which means they did not explicitly recommend justices mm -hmm. to accept any maps. So looking at this, justices can still ask for changes, but there's no real clear winner, but it appears there are some losers in this. We know the consultants do not like the Republican maps, and so let's kind of break them apart. The Republican map uh, by Republican lawmakers is a partisan gerrymander, they say. It basically, all it did was take the court's concerns about non-contiguous territory, absorb those municipal islands in existing districts, and said, here you go. Didn't address the political neutrality the court set as a criteria. The map from the Wisconsin Institute of Law and Liberty, representing conservative voters, that one made some changes, had actually like quite a bit few pairs in the assembly. And the consultant said, this is actually a pretty good map on traditional criteria when it comes to compactness, contiguity, um, other criteria that just use, but it's a stealth gerrymander because while it looks good on the on paper, it actually in, locks in a GOP majority because it has the top of the ticket. Um, by its own admission, Will said in his briefs that if this map were in place, it'd produce a 20 to 13 GOP majority in the state Senate, 56 43 in the Assembly. So there's not really a path for Democrats to win a majority with that map. The, these calls are saying these are not what you're looking for. Now, what's important to remember is way back when, when the court accepted this case, it said we're not going to do a partisan gerrymander case. We're not going to dive in the issue. We're going to talk about these issues, about contiguity and whether this map process basically violated the balance, balance of powers, separation of powers. But this report is all about, really, well, the focus is all about the political impact of these. So the four Democratic ones, Governor Evers, the Democratic voters who sued, the Senate Democrats and a group of professors, the court says these are all pretty much in the same ballpark in terms of like the criteria. They all have a path to, you know, whoever wins the top of the ticket would probably win the most votes in the legislature, you know, have control of the legislature. So they're good on that standard. But they also said there are still issues. You could, for example, improve all these maps in terms of uh, community splits or Native American tribes, how they are handled, with, you know, splits with those. So those are things. And they, they said, look, you can, if you want court, you can ask us to take any of these maps and try to make them better or take 
combine a couple and produce something else. They're saying, we didn't draw our own map, but if you want us to, we can. Now, what's missing here is a declaration of this is the map you should use. And everybody I've been talking to for weeks has been saying, they want this report to know what's the direction. Where are we going with these maps in Wisconsin? Because we are now early February. Um, lawmakers want to know, where am I running this fall? What's my district going to be? So there's this kind of collective like disappointment of there's no map, but no map or maps to say what's going to happen. Now, what's next is February 8th, uh, next Thursday, the party to respond to this consultant's report, have their input, and then we get a map, we think, at some point. Now, the court could still, again, order the consultants to draw something new, but the thing to keep in mind is March 15th. That's the date the Elections Commission has asked, please have a map in place so we can draw, put these things in uh, place by mid-April when nomination papers can start going out and we have our lines in place. So I'm going to be fascinated to watch what's coming up in these rep uh, responses on the 8th and how quickly the court acts after that and does it pick a map or does it ask the consultants to make some tweaks. Right, and that's the big two questions ahead because we're going to get to a lot of deadlines um, in some of our other topics because we know, you know, ballots need to be out soon and people, like you said, uh, we heard from a lot of lawmakers who, well, I'm going to vow to move depending on what the district looks like. Republicans did said that last week, but there's still just this uncertainty of what the map is going to look like. And a lot of people want to know that going forward for a variety of things. And all of this talk of these consultants and their review comes in the same week that Governor Tony Evers, as promised, vetoed the slight changes that Republicans made to his map. Now that was a bill that the Assembly Republicans and the Senate passed last week, which was in somewhat of a last ditch effort to avert the state Supreme Court from picking a map or drawing a new one. This also came the exact same day after a group of Wisconsin and Republicans and Republicans from Congress uh, and the legislature asked uh, liberal state Supreme Court Justice Janet Protasiewicz to recuse herself from the other redistricting battle that we're seeing, which is challenging the congressional lines. Let's go back to Governor Evers vetoing that bill. Uh, he spoke to reporters at a WizPolitik event after he issued that veto and kind of made his argument of what he's hopeful in the future and uh, just his general reactions to Republicans trying to uh, reach a compromise with him. Uh, or l earlier last week. Let's take a listen. All I know is the maps that I vetoed would not, would not be good for the people of Wisconsin. How this plays out in the Supreme, in the Supreme Court, I have no idea what that's going to be. Do I hope it's going to be my maps or something similar? It's, it's important to make sure that people have you know, good maps to make sure that we have competitive races. What I vetoed is uh, was not about being, and uh, so we'll see. I, I, I'm hopeful, but uh, Supreme Court, here we go, folks. So now kind of shifting to this congressional challenge, uh, we've seen Republicans, you know, pick a fight with uh, Justice Protosewitz before. Has it gone anywhere? No. But this is again them trying to get on the record saying we don't think she's going to rule fairly, not in just the legislative redistricting challenge, but now the congressional one. There's a slight nuance between the two cases, uh, and there's a big difference. So first, with the legislative case, um, this was a new lawsuit that was filed challenging the lines on a constitutional issue that there was non-contiguous territory in these districts that therefore violated the state constitution. The congressional case is different. It is asking the court to reopen the 2022 decision that came down and there's no constitutional challenge. It's not saying these maps are bad because they violate the law. They're saying, look, you took away the least change approach the court used the last time around for these legislative maps 
Now that's gone, you should redraw the congressional ones, okay? Why that's important, the nuance is with Protasewicz, she was talking about that 2022 decision when she said, I agree with the dissent. I have an issue with this. I would welcome a new look. They're saying, look, yeah, she said the maps were rigged for legislative lines. She also said that the 6-2 GP majority in House districts is not fair and specifically commented on that decision they're asking to reopen. Now, I don't know it's going to persuade her to have come to a different conclusion. In the end, the people I talked to aren't real confident the court will take this case in the first place because there's not that constitutional issue. And two, if you're a Democrat, you don't want this case in Wisconsin, okay? Because you don't want the U.S. Supreme Court's attention. Yes, you want different lines for the congressional districts. You would like a better shot to win a majority of the seats or even the third one. But if you give the U.S. Supreme Court a reason to get involved here, you run the chance of them stepping into the legislative one saying, well, you know what, there's a problem here too. We want to stop this. So that's kind of a little thing that's kind of some Democrats going, you know what, we're okay if the court sits on this for a while. And don't forget, the state Supreme Court is never going to make conservatives happy the way it's constituted right now, these liberal majority. But they keep saying Republican that this court is biased. They'll do whatever they want to do for us of the law. If the court says this is a step too far, doesn't it somehow undercut that a little bit to say, hey, we've got some guardrails here, we're following the law? So as a cynic, which you know I am, you can see politically how the court might go, you know, liberal majority might go, you know, this, this one will just sit on for a while. Right, and they can also bring forth this at another mm -hmm. time. Um, we've yep. talked about this often on the show about, you know, taking pause a little bit of how many issues you ram down the state Supreme Court. We already have a lot of election issues. We have redistricting. Abortion's going to be there at some point. Um, so in a sense, it's all tied to political strategy in a sense going down the road. And oh, by the way, of course, the next year we have another state Supreme Court election. So every decision oh. will be criticized at some point again, and likely commercial ads, et cetera, uh, that could be used against liberals on the state and Supreme don't forget, Court. This legislative one filed in August, expected decision in March. This was filed in January, right. asking for new lines when they're, that's, that's a tight timeline to put Very in place. Very tight timeline. Uh, staying on the issue of elections, uh, let's talk about Dean Phillips, who is uh, running for president as a Democrat. He is the one challenging President Joe Biden. So earlier this week, we're gonna kinda go on a timeline. Uh, he filed his lawsuit challenging the Presidential Preference Selection Committee, who picks who is on the ballot. He argues that they didn't give him a fair shot, uh, essentially. And he said, well, I wanted to be on the ballot and you guys didn't do it, so I'm gonna file this lawsuit. So we had state election officials and that committee respond to the lawsuit this week, and they essentially urged the state Supreme Court to reject his challenge uh, after he was left off the primary ballot. And they say that he waited too long to take legal action. The presidential committee met on January 2nd. Uh, Phillips just filed his lawsuit on Monday. Uh, so Phillips, who is launching this, like I said, long shot bid against Biden, um, filed it directly to the court and and this all comes after they decided that Biden's gonna be the only one. Then, just yesterday, we found out that the court is saying, well, clerks don't send out any information to clerks yet or those presidential ballots because we're gonna take pause on this for a second, which is the latest development in this, which means this issue is still alive for Phillips when a lot of people thought it wouldn't go anywhere. So there could be a decision at any second, essentially what that says. Yes. So here, let's go this process. The Presidential Selection Committee, uh, primary committee, basically it's if your party gets 10% of the vote in the gubernatorial election, the previous election, you get to basically have a ballot line on the primary ballot for president two years later. Only Democrats, Republicans qualified, which happens most years. They have the sole authority to pick who gets on that ballot. 
they're supposed to recognize anybody who basically is getting media attention as a credible candidate. Four years ago, though, Donald Trump was the incumbent. Um, Governor Weld, Congressman Walsh were running for president of Republicans, and Deshupi said, we're not going to submit their names, just Trump. Four years later, Democrats say, Biden's the president, he's the incumbent. We're not going to give you Dean Phillips or Marianne Williamson. It's just our president. Okay, so is that a problem? Is there a, a compulsory requirement? Do they have to recognize these folks? Or are these guys private parties who are allowed to pick and choose who they want in their primary? That's a big question for the court. The other one is the question of lashes. What that means is you wait too long. If you're not put on the ballot by that committee, which met January 2nd, your second option is to collect 8,000 signatures with at least 1,000 from each of the eight congressional districts. Now, in an affidavit that Phillips filed with his lawsuit, he said they looked into that, and it cost 300 grand to do that, and that that was a, an issue. But he waited until a week ago to file the lawsuit. Why didn't you file it the day after the, court, the committee made its decision, or a week later? Or at least put out a statement saying that you're you know, yeah. weighing possible legal action. We yeah. talked about this after the committee mm -hmm. met. He didn't say boo. There wasn't anything in the social media, press release, anything. Okay, well now here's the timeline. Uh, county clerks have to have in the hands of municipal clerks by February 14th ballots, presidential primary only ballots that go to overseas and uh, military voters. Those have to be mailed by February 15th. It takes time to print stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they'd like to get them now. <laughs> so there's that. In one of the responses that Phillips attorneys filed said, look, if we had gone the route of getting signatures, you'd actually still have a, a window of like early next week where there'd be a ch there could be a challenges on his signatures. So we're talking like February 5th, 6th, 7th, somewhere around there. You'd be then, but the earliest you could, you could certify these names, so we're in plenty of time. What I expect, court could have something out 5 o'clock today, sometime Monday, um, sometime in the next few days we're going to get something because there's a, a pressing window to get something done because it clerks these ballots. Right, it's that secret window that we talk about quite a bit when it comes to many issues going on here in Wisconsin. Um, our next topic is kind of recapping a lot of uh, public hearings and executive action that was taken uh, by Assembly and Senate committees this week. Um, some of the big ones we're going to point on is a public hearing on legislation that would ban race-based programs in higher education and instead focus on economically disadvantaged students. This is again kind of flowing with the theme of Republicans uh, fighting against DEI practices in higher ed and in K through 12 education. This bill, of course, would focus on higher ed. ed. Uh, we also had a Senate Judiciary Committee approve 10 bills, including one that would allow those with concealed carry permits to possess firearms in a place of worship if it is located on school grounds. We also had a package of bills from the Speaker's Task Force on Childhood Obesity. Um, those were in a committee as well. And one proposal that became a little controversial would include a, adding a new requirement for kindergarten through eighth graders to complete at least 180 minutes of movement during the school week. That is about that is three hours, so it would mandate that. And what we heard from the bill sponsor is really question, you know, why should this be so difficult? Uh, on the other hand, you had a lot of school groups saying this kind of can complicate the process with additional requirements that we're already obligated to follow when it comes to PE and other uh, phys ed programs. So let's take a listen from both sides on that bill specifically. Forming these habits in childhood lays the groundwork for a healthier adulthood, reducing the risk of obesity and other health-related issues, and contributing to a more active and fulfilling life and wellness in general. If we can't even get to three hours of physical movement in a week, 
I think we have to ask ourselves, what's going on? We're not trying to argue that schools don't have any role here. I just think we're trying to argue that there are only so many minutes in the day. Uh, th those, those days are scheduled down to the minute. So if you're gonna increase the requirements on one side, uh, there's necessarily going to have to be something that's given up. Other things I want to mention, uh, there was also a resolution that would require legislative approval for distributing federal funds sent to the state. That's been an issue we've talked about for many times. Also, we had uh, a new constitutional amendment uh, this week that was proposed by Republican lawmakers that seeks to curtail Governor Evers' powers. So kind of just highlighting a lot of these, Jer, because many of these are likely going to be on the floor as they're trying to kind of ram through a lot, a lot of issues before they wrap up for the year. So pay attention to the bill number. So. If it's in the 900s or the thousands, it means one of two things to me oftentimes. Either it's somebody trying to get a bill done for messaging for the campaign for this fall, or a late idea they're gonna rush through to try and get on the floor, probably also for messaging this fall. How these bills are 900s, the thousands, because it's the end of the session. Key dates are February 22nd, that's the day Robin Voss says they're gonna go home. Uh, there's a week in March to have the Senate to come in. We expect the Senate to come in a day or two in March and wrap things up. now. Robin Voss often says we're going to be done this day and that's going to be it. Yeah. It's a pressure tactic to try the Senate mm -hmm. to take the assembly version of stuff. If there's something very important, they might come back and do it, but we're getting close to the end. That's why we're seeing this rush of bills right now. We're trying to queue up, okay, what can we get done before we go home? Also, lawmakers, a lot of them, want to have something to say, look, I got this done. Right. You asked me to do this, take up this bill. I did my best. I tried. I got my bill on the floor and it died. Right. And, you know, specifically, too, with that obesity bill that I talked about, um, out of that task force, we spoke to um, the chairman, uh, Representative Moses, after the committee, and he also kind of expressed doubts that that specific bill will get through because if it's controversial and you have even some Republican members questioning it or not on board with it, I would say the fate is very unlikely to get it done that quickly. But there are some other ones that will likely uh, be on the floor in the next coming weeks. All right. Now, let's Let's talk about uh, about some bills that Governor Evers signed into law this week. One specifically dealt with expanding access to dental care. Uh, so he signed a package of bills Wednesday that aimed at expanding access to that and addressing dental workforce shortages across the state. Highlighting one of those bills includes authorizing licenses for dental therapists who practice in areas experiencing shortages in care. Also found out this morning in a series of other bills that the governor uh, signed is legislation that would approve those UW pay raises um, that was part of the deal that they made with Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and uh, to authorize those building projects going forward but that still needs legislative approval by joint finance. So the, the dental therapist bill interesting one I think it's been around for about eight years now it's an interesting case of when you have competing groups who are at odds about a bill if you can get everybody together and they can agree that's what sometimes makes it work. So it shows you sometimes if you go butt heads for years on end, you'll finally get to a compromise and things get done. All right, well, let's get the stock picks in this week. In rising, we're gonna go through some latest fundraising numbers is Brian Style. So uh, Congressman from Janesville, Southeastern Wisconsin District, outraises Dem opponent 100 to one during the three month period, pretty good margin. So look, there are two Democrats who had filed to run against Style, uh, I think in August. One of them filed a termination report with FEC in October saying they want to end his campaign and didn't reason have to file a report anyway. So not a great sign for how he's doing. Other guy, Santos, um, raised less than $5,000. Style eclipsed more than half a million. Now, the question is, why is Opportunity Wisconsin, a Democratic group, 
running ads against Brian Style if he's not getting a serious challenge. Mm -hmm. So by my sources, uh, they're up to about 1.7 million spent since January of last year. On the one hand, Style is kind of a part of leadership with Republicans. He is kind of in his, he's running like an 18, so running for a fourth term. He's maybe kind of in that spot where he might get entrenched, where you might have a hard time beating him. So maybe you want to try and keep softening him up a little bit in the biggest media market, Milwaukee, to prevent him from running statewide someday or being a factor down the road. Maybe. Maybe you have money to burn. Either way, it's hard to see how you're going to beat Brian Style right now without somebody else getting in who has serious money uh, to bring in. Don't forget, too, uh, in 2022, even though Governor Evers won statewide by 3.4 percentage points, he lost the first district in terms of votes versus Tim Michaels. So that tells you, even if Joe Biden, let's say, assume it's Joe Biden and Donald Trump, that's what it looks right now, mm -hmm. even if Biden wins by or three, four points, that doesn't get you to 50-50 in the district. And if you have a guy like Style who's got a lot of money, who's been an incumbent and doesn't face a strong challenger, that is hard to beat that person right now. All right, uh, let's get to mix this week, and we're focusing on the third congressional district, but we're highlighting Representative Katrina, Katrina Shanklin. So she got endorsement uh, last week. I think it was from Mark Bocan, Congressman from the second district. I've been taught for many years endorsements matter if they come with money and/or infrastructure. So she's going to need help from Bocan to catch Rebecca Cook. In the reports that we saw, Rebecca raised about three hundred thirty thousand dollars in a three-month period. Shanklin about two hundred twelve thousand dollars. Now I don't want to diminish six-figure uh, amounts, but Katrina Shanklin raised 100,000 bucks the first week or two of her campaign after getting in October. So she just eclipsed that the next two and a half months. Cook has been putting it at a pretty uh, prolific pace for a challenger in terms of what she's been raising, up around 700 some thousand dollars at this point in July. So she's at a decent clip. The key in this district is going to be who can win lacrosse. Uh, Shanklin's represented a Stevens Point area assembly district since uh, the early teens. Uh, Cook won. Uh, Eau Claire County, her home county, in that four-way primary two years ago. So those are their bases, should do well. Who can win the cross? Tara Johnson, I think you remember, she dropped out, uh, former Lacrosse County Board Chair. Cook has resources to kind of get up on the air in lacrosse. That gives her an advantage. Can Shanklin take that POCAN endorsement and somehow turn into fundraising dollars that can help her get to even with Cook? Now, that's a big question there. Um, you're also seeing Shanklin nab a lot of endorsements from people who are in the legislature from that area. She will use those to try and promote herself in lacrosse. It's been interesting to watch, though. Rebecca Cook has irritated some part of the Democratic establishment, whether it's because she didn't, quote, wait her turn in 2022 right. or because she was too aggressive, not deferential off the Brad Path after the state senator lost to Derek Van Orden uh, two years ago and saying, I might run again. Whatever it is, she's irritated some people. But you got to give her props. She's raising money in a good clip. Now, Van Orden, he raised more than those two, plus Eric Wilson, the third person, put together. It's also 30% less than he raised the quarter before. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that. One of them is his daughter passed away this quarter, obviously distracted by that for understandable reasons. But Van Orden also was a big beneficiary of Kevin McCarthy, uh, the House Speaker was pushed out. There's all kinds of turmoil in the House. If you look at Van Orden's report, he had fewer PAC and committee transfers into his report this period. So will there be a rebound? We'll see. So $1.6 in the bank to end the year, which is way more than any of the Democratic challengers. Um, the big question is, will Trump, if he's a nominee, have the same impact in the third district he had four years ago and eight years ago? He did well there. Again, go back to Governor Evers two years ago. 
he won the third district by about 1,500 votes over Michaels at 3.4 points. If Biden can't match that, you're talking about an incumbent who has baggage, you know, he's did some things that you know, aren't very pleasant with Senate pages, yelling at a library, a teenage library employee, things like that. But if you don't have uh, President Biden getting that kind of a margin, top of ticket, it's hard to have coattails to really beat Van Orn, especially if has more money than you do. So that's a real challenge for them. All right, a lot of developments in that race. All right, let's go to following this week is factory farms after a new court ruling. Yeah, so there was this challenge about can the DNR regulate these big animal operations, a thousand more animals, when it comes to this water discharge permit. And basically the groups have argued, no, you can't regulate us because it exceeds what federal requirements are. The judge said, no, there is a standard here. He cited an older case uh, with a duck farm, which I thought was, you know, they're duck farms. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But about manure being spread and that there is a standard there. So for environmental groups, this is a big win. Because they're saying if you hadn't had these, these regulations there, you'd take away protections for these very large animal operations and how they handle manure and discharge in navigable bodies of water. Um, for the dairy farms, look, this is an expensive process. It is a challenging process. It is causing us challenges in doing business. They're considering an appeal. We'll see where they go from here, but at least for now, it's a win for environmental groups with this case. All right, that will do it for a very busy week. Another one in Wisconsin politics. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. This program was brought to you from the Margaret Farrell Studio. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.